Welcome back to the Pulse Podcast. My name is Jeff Frost. I am a second year resident in physiatry, and today we're going to be talking all about disability insurance. Now I know, I know, I know. Disability insurance? This is a barn burner. So strap yourselves in, put your drink down. You're going to need your friend to hold your beer, because this one, this one is a barn burner. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff, and I'm your host again today on the Pulse Podcast. I am here with everyone from FLC to talk about long-term disability insurance. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> I'm so excited for today. It's going to be a, a hype episode. It's time to, to get excited because this is going to be hot fire. So why doesn't everyone here introduce themselves so that everyone at home can start to get real jazzed about disability insurance? Hi, my name is Bobby Ning, and I'm the co-founder of the Financial Literacy Council. And my name is Alfred Glare, and I'm also the co-founder of the Financial Literacy Council. Hi, my name is Michelle Chow, and I'm the director of strategy and operations. Guys, you sound excited, but I think we can sound even more excited. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're here to talk about long-term disability insurance, which at first pass, you might be just questioning why we're even talking about it. So let's get down to basics. On the callstipend.ca website, which is the website we have to fill out every time we claim a call shift, at the end of that website, you might remember there's this little ticky box that says, do you have long-term disability insurance? If you do, you get to hit yes, and then you have to put in your policy number. So we get lots of questions at Resident Doctors of BC as to exactly what that's referring to. Why do we have this little ticky box on our call stipend website? Why does it matter for call and not normal work? What's going on there? So we wanted to take the time today to just address that question. What is long-term disability insurance? Why do I need it? And what are my options as a resident? So thanks for taking the time today, guys. I guess the most obvious question, the first question, what is long-term disability insurance? Well, long-term disability insurance is, a, is an instrument, a financial instrument, that protects you against the loss of income due to an illness or injury. Okay, so I guess if I'm unable to work for an extended period of time, this is an insurance vehicle that can provide me with some money. That's correct. Why do I need this? I have a job. Well, in reality, yes, you have a job, you have income that comes in. However, that being said, in the unfortunate situation where you run into an accident or into an illness, then what would happen is then you're basically the money machine that stops working. And because you don't work, there is no income coming in. So we want to rely on another source of income or asset, which is this disability insurance, that will pay out for you. And because you guys are residents, you don't have the position of other people if they choose not to buy insurance, where they can at least dip into their savings. A lot of residents are already in debt, so without insurance, you're getting more and more into debt. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. Like most residents, I'm young. I'm only 30 which may be as old for a resident, but none, nonetheless, I'm fairly young. Uh, so, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to get sick. Like, this isn't a big deal. I, I know the patients that get sick. I treat them every day. And thankfully, I'm not one of them. So, I mean, like, I don't, I don't really see the need. Well, partly it's not just covering for yourself only. I mean, if you're okay, nothing happens to you is great. But if something does happen to you, it's also the people around you. So in many situations where some of the residents that I've, we've worked with got into disability, insurance, uh, disability, family members or spouses or partners had to come in, take time off work where they don't get compensated. And there's a lot of people who rally around you that take time from their ability to earn income to help you. So then even if you may not go into debt, 
some other people may end up burdening the cost. So, so it's helping myself out and helping out people around me? That's right. I mean... But you're not sold because you still don't think you're going to get sick or injured. I guess not really. I mean, like, how likely really is this? Well, Jeff, didn't you tell me a story about how you were in a car accident? <laughs> ah. <laughs> yes. Touche. Touche. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good point. I mean, when I thought about uh, when I when I moved here, I moved here two years ago from uh, Ontario, this uh, wonderful province in the middle of Canada. You may have heard of it. So, <laughs> when I moved here, I guess like a month after moving here, I was driving home one night, and uh, some guy ran a red light, which was unfortunate, and he t-boned me. He t-boned my car. It spun my car around, and uh, the car ended up in a pharmacy, if I remember correctly. I don't really, for obvious reasons, I don't quite remember what happened, <laughs> but uh, it was the end of the car. The car got totally destroyed, uh, and I was on neurosurgery at the time, and unfortunately, uh, I couldn't work for a while, so everyone had to take my call shifts, which really sucked. I felt really bad about that, but yeah, I guess I guess I did get injured, <laughs> and I do actually remember talking to uh, ICBC's insurance at the time about uh, whether or not they would cover my salary, and they had brought up something I guess they had asked about long-term disability insurance, whether or not I had long-term disability insurance, because they said that was required to cover me in the long term. But I, I guess I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. The, the thing about insurance and, and residents or all young people is everyone thinks it's not going to be them. It's not going to be them in a car accident or it's not going to be them getting ill through cancer or something else. Um, but the reality is you just don't know what's going to happen. And by getting this insurance, you're protecting yourself from getting more and more into debt. And as residents, again, you already hold a lot of debt. We were just talking about if you claim bankruptcy. So if you claim bankruptcy seven years from when you complete residency, your student loan debt is not forgiven. You still have to carry that. That kind of sucks. Yes, it does. The government wants their money. I mean, for a lot of us, that's a lot of money. Like, if you go to med school in, say, Ontario, I can speak to that because that's where I went to med school, you're looking at least, least $80,000 in just tuition costs alone. And then when you add on cost of living, which you probably got through a provincial loan, you're probably looking at like $120,000 in debt just to finish med school, kind of a minimum. Yeah, through the appointments that we've been meeting with different residents, I think Elfel had mentioned to me it was average one hundred and seventy thousand. Yeah, because it's not just the tuition, which is eighty plus your undergrad, which might be forty to fifty. You also have to factor in living costs. And one of the things I tell residents quite clearly is, do you put insurance on your iPhone? They're like, yeah, of course. If I drop it, I want to make sure I have that. Or do you put insurance on your car? They're like, yeah, well, why not? I go, well, who pays for all that in the first place? They're like, well, I do. So wouldn't it make sense that you would insure the very person who has the ability to earn the income in order to pay for all of these niceties that we enjoy on a daily basis? And so that's really what disability insurance is about, is protecting your ability to earn an income. You did work quite hard to become a physiatrist. Uh, you're, I guess you're on your way to finishing, but uh, it would be very unfortunate if you weren't able to practice your profession. Uh, due to an injury or illness, and the income that comes with that is is a big uh, opportunity cost and something that I truly believe needs to be protected. Right, and I guess guess one thing, you know, I kind of have thought about this before, but it's never really crystallized until now, but the inherent contract we make when we decide to become physicians is we trade our youth for potential future earnings. It's all potential. We don't really earn much in our 20s, 
even our early 30s. But we carry with us this massive debt load as a result of going to medical school and undergrad for years and years and years. So if at any point during those years of potential, you for some reason are no longer able to fulfill that potential, you're still saddled with all the costs of generating that potential. So I, I went to school personally. I mean, I don't even know. I'd have to count it up. But I went to post-secondary education for 11 years. So, I mean, that was 11 years of debt and time, during which time I wasn't really making much money. And I did incur a lot of debt. And I think as part of this, you guys asked me to look at my debt load. I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe I should not say this publicly, but maybe I will. Cause, you okay. might be scared. <laughs> <laughs> like, my debt's a little higher than most for a bunch of reasons, but we can say that at, at, I do have right now, looking at my national bank account, $125,000 on my line of credit. And that's not my only debt vehicle that I hold. So my debt is much greater than that. And it's, it's all potential, right? Like, I don't, I don't have any way to pay that back right now. So if I were to become injured, like, let's go back to that car accident two years ago. The guy hit my driver's side door. And he, thankfully, mainly hit the engine block, which ripped the engine off my car, which is why I no longer have a car. But at the same time, had he been six inches over, he would have hit me, not the engine block. And then I probably wouldn't have had the ability to continue with my residency. But I still would have been $200,000 in debt. And I wouldn't really have had any way to deal with that. Because my potential is now gone. Someone who's injured can't fulfill their potential to be a physiatrist. They're just, they're just unfortunately unable to fulfill that potential. And now you're stuck with all this debt. So how do you deal with it? And I guess what you guys are telling me is you deal with it in that worst case scenario, which realistically can happen to anyone. Like I have no past medical history, but I got unlucky. Some guy decided that a red light was optional and smashed my car into a building. If you happen to be unlucky and fall into that category, you need some way of dealing with all the costs you've incurred. And what you guys are telling me is that's what long-term disability insurance is. Mm -hmm. That's right. Absolutely. And if you think about, like, if you are in an accident or you do have an illness, your focus is on getting better, not stressing about how you're going to pay the bills. So if you take this one option to listen to our podcast, get long-term disability, if the unfortunate does happen to you, then you have, well, fortunate or unfortunately, one less thing to worry about. Yeah, the last thing you want to deal with when you're going to doctor's appointments for a cancer diagnosis or maybe seeing a physiatrist because you got into a car accident, the last mm -hmm. thing you want to deal with is financial trouble on top of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess really I should think of long-term disability insurance as, as a resident. It's a bridge to help me fulfill my potential. If for some reason I can't fulfill it, at least financially I'm covered. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. So that's why I need long-term disability insurance. <laughs> uh, I, I guess now we can get into the, the details, which, I mean, before we, we came here to record this, I will admit that I tried to do some research, you know, good resident, read before you show up to your first day of the rotation. Um, and I saw that there was like these terms, association plan disability insurance, and then individual plan disability insurance. Can you guys just break down what those two are for me? The main difference between an association plan versus a private plan is an association plan is a product that you purchase through your association. And that association would require membership. And in this case, you have membership with the Doctors of BC and British Columbia. And they offer a disability insurance plan for medical residents and students. 
and the other hand is the private plan. And a private plan is a contract that's between you and the insurance company directly. So should you want to have a private plan, you would apply directly with the insurer and you would be the master owner and contract holder. Um, of course, in the situation with an association plan, the owner is the association, not technically yourself. Okay, let me roll that back for a bit. So my professional association, let's just stop using that and say Doctors of BC, because that's what applies to me in British Columbia. Doctors of BC can offer me an insurance plan that I don't own, that they own, that they provide to me. The other option is going to a private insurer who will let me purchase a plan that, that I myself own. That seems like a pretty big difference. Like, what, what does that mean in terms of coverage? The difference between an association plan and a private plan is that the association plan, which here at BC, as you mentioned, is the Doctors of BC plan, has very similar coverages and benefits as a private plan. The main differences that can be highlighted between them would be, one is price. So the prices increase every five years as you get older, when you're in the plan. Um, you also have to retain membership in the association to be covered. So if you decide to go elsewhere in the world, you have to maintain membership and then you have to look at whether it's covered. And then basically they have standardized definitions, which other private plans may have more specialized definitions that may apply to you. So in a private plan, it may be more expensive today, but it's lower cost in the long term to A65. There's other benefits such as I mentioned portability. So if you want to work in Asia or other countries of the world, you're able to do so and you would be covered. And then finally, there's other benefits such as, well, as you know, most disability insurance plans will pay at 865, but there are some carriers will they with they will carry that coverage post 65. And that can be a benefit depending on your situation. Okay, so there's a lot of content there. So I kind of just want to dive into the three points you made and then bring my own Dr. Google to the forefront here because I definitely Googled this before showing up here and I want to, you know, just like patients, they come in with random diagnoses. Now, let's be honest, Google's always right, right? You know, well, that's <laughs> thing, right? So I'm a little worried that my insurance knowledge is, you know, on par with Dr. Google here. So number one, you talked about portability, which I, for me is most interesting because as I said, I'm from Ontario. I don't know if I'm going to stay in British Columbia. So if I understand correctly, the portability thing really is a provincial uh, a provincial problem in Canada. If I get association insurance here in British Columbia, it's only good in British Columbia. If I go back to Ontario to hang out with my parents and everyone in Hamilton and Toronto, it's not really useful to me anymore. Is that correct? That's partially correct um, because of the fact that obviously you bought it in British Columbia. And if you go back to Ontario, you have the Ontario Medical Association plan that you can also subscribe to. Um, there are some people who have retained their BC plan because if they're unhealthy or they won't be able to get covered in other provinces, then they maintain the membership to do so. But then they realize how inflexible that could be upon claim time because now you have to adjust for the people you need to talk to, the timing, and just all the work that comes with that being disabled. So just to break it down, to be really simple, you want disability insurance in the geography that you live in. It makes your life a lot easier. So if I live in Ontario, I want disability insurance in Ontario. If I live in British Columbia, I want it in British Columbia. That'd be more ideal, yes. And the association plans, due to the nature of the fact that they're based on provincial associations, really are limited to provinces in Canada, whereas private plans, because they're typically offered by national financial institutions, can move from province to province without headache. That's correct. Okay, so that's something to consider. The next thing you brought up was cost. I, Dr. Google is pretty clear on this one. The association plans are cheaper up front, 
But from what I understand, if you lock yourself into a private plan at a young age without a physical, it does actually tend to be cheaper over the entire lifetime of the plan. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And it's important to see uh, analysis can be put to, in place to show you what the differences are. So that's one way to be able to provide that trust and verify procedure for yourself. Right, but this is this is a place where there really might not be a right answer. Because when I'm a resident and younger, I have lots of debt but very little income. So trying to make the monthly payments on a private plan might be difficult. So in that case, an association plan might make sense for those three to five years of my life. I can't really afford a private plan, so an association plan, because it's cheaper up front, might be better. That's correct. So what we've also recommended for many residents is that they may want to look into a hybrid plan or a mix-and-match plan. Oh, Bobby, I'm going to stop you right there. That <laughs> is, that's the next level. I do want to ask you about that, but there was a third thing you brought up. You talked about cost. You talked about portability. But what was the third thing you brought up that we need to think about in terms of these insurances? The longevity, so the coverage until age 65. Okay, so what's that about? All standardized disability insurance plans will cover until age 65, which often is the way the rules have been since it's been created. However, as we see injuries and disabilities going post-65, what a lot of people haven't realized is your disability payments will go into age 65, and based on mortality rates increasing, well, what happens to the next 20, 30 years of your life? So some insurers have come up with a rider where you can have a lifetime accident and sickness, where if you're in a disability going into age 65 and beyond, it will continue to pay. But the association plans never offer that rider. That's correct in this situation now. Weren't you also mentioning before if I become disabled and not able to do my primary job? I can still get paid out if I then take like a secondary job. So let's say I was originally a doctor, I was either disabled or I had an illness and I couldn't be a doctor anymore, but I could be a teacher. I would still get paid out for the disability of my doctor income, but I could still collect an income as being a teacher. That's correct. That would be considered the own occupation definition. And there's a lot of I would say controversy with this definition because depending on who you talk to, some people believe in that definition, some people do not believe in that definition. So obviously for a specialist, it's a easy sell because of the idea that own occupation, if I, my hands are broken or if they're hurt, I can't practice as a specialist, that I can go teach or I can go open a coffee shop because I've wanted to all my whole life. Um, then you would still get your specialist, uh, specialist income plus you get your coffee shop income. On the other hand, however, for family doctors, um, there is a limitation because a lot of uh, people have said that uh, own occupation may not apply to family doctors. However, that being said, some carriers have opted to not provide family doctors with own occupation. So if you opt in earlier while in residency, you are guaranteed to have that post-residency. I want to back this conversation up again because you're hinting at something that we use a lot, but I don't, I don't even know if I know the answer to this. You talked about this idea of a rider. What and own occupation is a rider. We have the rider of over age sixty-five, which we talked about briefly. But what's a rider? Rider is like when you buy a car, you have the base model, and then you add on these options where they can enhance your plan. Right. Okay. So it's like if I get a if I get a, a Volkswagen, but I want to have I don't know leather seats. Yeah. It's it's an additional or automatic locks. Or automatic locks, <laughs> but it. It could make my car better from my perspective. So just like any insurance plan, you get a you be a basic insurance plan, and then you can have these riders that make them, in air quotes, better. That's correct. Maybe. 
Okay, so we talked about two important riders. One, one rider is coverage over age 65. So if I get disabled and I want to be paid out past the age of 65, there's a rider for that. Mm -hmm. Then you talked about own occupation rider. I really want to dig into this because Dr. Google is all about the own occupation rider. So I'll, I'll tell you what I think I know and then correct me if I'm wrong. So my understanding is if I get disabled and I do not have an own occupation rider, but I am able to return to any kind of work, so I'm supposed to be a physiatrist. I get disabled, no own occupation rider, but I'm still able to work as like a parking attendant. Because, you know, that's not as demanding as being a physiatrist. My insurance company will then say, okay, Jeff, you can work. You're not disabled. No more payouts for you. That's, that's what happens if I don't have an own occupation rider, correct? That's the yes. That's simplistically yes. And I guess the, the real like difficulty you can run into there is as a physician, you're carrying this massive debt load from residency, which we've talked about. So, or sorry, from medical school. So if, if I get injured tomorrow and I still have my $200,000 in debt, I don't even want to think about how big it is. And I'm still able to work as a parking attendant. I no longer get disability coverage, but I might not have a wage that's sufficient to cover all my outstanding costs. That's correct. Well, that sounds horrible. It is horrible. <laughs> okay. That'll be a nightmare at that point. And so then if I add on an own occupation rider, I get disabled, I can no longer be a physiatrist. Even if I can go work at a coffee shop or as a parking attendant or whatever, my disability insurance still covers me, still provides me with a monthly payout because I can't work as a physiatrist. That's right. Okay, this sounds kind of important. So is this a rider that all residents should, should be getting? It's a rider that they should have, and that should usually is provided usually when you ask for it. Um, uh, again, as I mentioned, if you go private, if you're a second-year uh, family medicine uh, resident, then that may not be available on, a, on the private plan that's being offered. Okay, so this is another point of differenti differentiation between the association plans and the private plans. Association plans offer own occupation riders even for family physicians, mm -hmm. whereas private plans will only offer own occupation riders for specialists. Is that correct? Um, he wants no. to say kind of. I want to say kind of. I want to say kind of. Is this one relates to the one, one, one particular uh, carrier that is being provided for residents here. Um, that's the one that will not allow own occupation for family residents. However, other carriers, if you go through underwriting, they will allow you to have the own occupation. So underwriting being going through a medical Okay, back that one up for me. So if I get a medical as a family physician resident, I can still get an own occupation rider. It yes. doesn't matter who I go with. Um, with three of the four carriers. Okay, private carriers? Private yes. carriers. Right. But the predominant one that's being uh, talked about without any medicals and only seven questions, that particular company. We're talking RBC here, just that's to be right, clear yes. for all the listeners. So R that's correct. RBC has not paid me, <laughs> just so everybody knows, but for the sake of clarity, RBC, which is a common private disability insurance carrier in Canada, will not provide family physicians with own occupation riders unless they go through medical. Well, they won't cover family medicine residents at all if you're if they know that you're going to be a family medicine doctor. Okay, that, that sounds like a major drawback. I would like to know that as a family medicine resident. <laughs> however, the, however you do in the first year, it's okay. So if I get onto a private plan with RBC specifically, and we're only talking RBC here, not all private plans, within the first year of my residency, I can still get that own occupation yes. rider. Okay, that sounds like an argument for getting on a private plan really early in my residency. That's right. So I think um, Bobby mentioned earlier about hybrid, and Jeff, you mentioned we'd get that into that later. <laughs> so at the end of the day, a lot of residents are like, I don't know, 
think I'm going to stay in BC. I don't think I'm going to stay in BC. I'm not sure. This is where the hybrid really helps you. It gives you the most options where you buy the doctors of BC and a private plan, and you combine the two. And then that way, you're kind of covered for both should you change your mind about what you're going to be doing, where you're living, anything like that in the future. Um, that gives you the most security and the most options at the end of the day. I know you guys love hybrid, and I, I'm going to give you the space to talk about it. But, there's, <laughs> but not yet. <laughs> not yet, because there's one more thing that I, it comes up all the time when you're talking about disability insurance with residents that I want to address. And you spoke about it, Bobby, and it's the idea of getting a physical done. First of all, why do I care? Secondly, how does it impact my decision to purchase insurance? Well, in the insurance world, when it comes down to being insured, the most difficult insurance to apply for is disability insurance. And the reason being is because not only are they asking questions from head to toe, they're looking at any possible reason why you may become disabled. So if you had any previous injuries affecting your back, your neck, or any other parts of your body, there could be exclusions that would prevent you from ever being covered in the future for that. Right. And now, now so I'm remembering this. One of my really good friends in medical school, unfortunately, when she was younger, ran into some mental health con concerns. And when it came time to apply to long-term disability insurance at the end of medical school, she couldn't get coverage like the rest of us because she had to tick some box that said, I've seen a psychiatrist in the last five years. So as a result, they just straight up wouldn't cover her. And I guess the whole idea of getting insurance when you're younger is you probably have less medical conditions. That's just life. We all know that. As we age, we sometimes get our past medical history expands. Uh, so the sooner you get onto an insurance plan with the smallest number of things on your past medical history, the more likely you are to get covered. That's right. Furthermore, some of the plans will let you get on the plan without a physical if you're young enough at the end of residency, or sorry, at the end of medical school or the start of residency. And that can be a huge boon if you know that there are uh, physical conditions that run in your family. Like say you know that everyone in your family gets heart disease by age 40 or diabetes by age 50. Uh, if you can get onto a a disability insurance plan without having to disclose that, it really is to your benefit. Yes. Because your your insurance, your premiums will be lower on a monthly basis and you might even be able to achieve coverage whereas previously you might not have been able to. That's right. Okay, so there's a strong argument for getting disability insurance when you're younger so that you can skip the hoops of having a medical done and disclosing all kinds of information that you might not want to disclose to your insurer. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's also interesting is a lot of people wait to get insurance until they, they have kids or they're like, at that point, that's when I need it because I want to protect my children. But one thing that's very interesting as a female is if you're not insured before you get pregnant, sometimes you have complications through your pregnancy and that could indicate like if you have diabetes through your pregnancy, it could indicate in the future you will have that. So then you would be rated at a much higher um, rate and you would have to pay more for insurance or maybe it would be more harder for you to get that insurance too. Right, right. So insurance can start to get really expensive. And, and I guess one thing we spoke about, but I want to nail this down, is once you get locked into a rate for the private plans, not the association plans, but once you get locked into a rate, you're locked into that rate. So if I can sign up for an insurance plan as a 23-year-old healthy male, that's my rate. But if I try and apply when I'm 35 and I've had two back injuries and maybe someone found a kidney stone and I have to go through a physical exam, my rate is going to be exponentially higher than had I locked into a rate at a younger age. Yeah. 
And that's not the end of it. You also get what's called exclusions. So if any onset happens. Right. So say, say I had a known back injury, signed up for disability insurance. My insurer might say, yeah, we'll cover you unless you have a back injury because that's a pre-existing condition. So we're never going to pay yeah. for that. Yeah. And I have a story with that. It was uh, two doctors. They're married. One's an emergency doctor. So the husband decided, you know what? I'm going to get it during residency. Uh, the spouse, however, decided to procrastinate and because of exams and everything, missed the deadline. And she had to go through what Bobby just talked about, which was the underwriting or going through medical tests. And they actually excluded her neck because when she was four years old, she was a ballerina. They went all the way back to when she was four years old and realized she had uh, bent her neck in a certain way. And because she's an anesthesiologist, a big part of that job is you're in a position with the airway and the tube and whatnot. And they gave her an exclusion for that. And she was just livid. She's like, what? They went back to when I was four years old. But they can do that because they ask for what's called an attending physician statement. And they go back basically to birth until you're right, aging right, right. And so it is to your benefit as a resident uh, to sign up for disability with the least amount of tests and uh, underwriting. Right. And I mean, I can think of a personal example, too. I mean, I have this really weird medical condition called exercise-induced anaphylaxis, which is super weird. <laughs> sounds made up. <laughs> sounds, sounds made up, not made up. Check up to date. But anyways, had anyone forced me to disclose that on an insurance uh, form, I wouldn't be able to get covered in the case that I have an anaphylactic attack. And as we all know as physicians, anaphylaxis can can induce a lot of disability if you don't get treatment fast enough. Um, but because I, I did get insurance when I was younger, I snuck in, never had to tell anybody that. Uh, now if I do have an anaphylactic attack and do become disabled as a result, I'm still going to be covered. So there is a strong argument for getting coverage, whether you go with association or, or private, at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Now the big, the big argument I hear for the private, and I'd love your opinions on this, is... Uh, once, like I said, once you lock into a private plan, you're locked in, it's good for life, and you're at a certain rate. So, so there does seem to be an advantage to getting on that at a younger age, whereas since the association plan increases in cost over time, the pattern we sometimes see is people lock in, they start with an, an association plan. Once they hit, I don't know, 35, they realize, oh my goodness, this is quite expensive. I'm not sure I really want to pay for this anymore. And then they try to shift over to the private plan at that time. But unfortunately, age 35, past medical history has grown, issues have grown, and you start to run into these exclusion criteria. Okay, so so just talk about that for a minute. My impression is that I should be doing private if that's the case, but what do you guys think? Well, some people are sense, cost-sensitive, so and they feel like um, they're running their debt basically to the limit. They feel like, well, it's kind of like the idea of going back to my ice cream analogy. <laughs> I'm going against... I want sorbet or I want gelato. I can get a bit of both because I know that uh, I want the flexibility to be able to have the private, but I don't want to be able to be paying for all that today. So in the event that I do get disabled during residency, no one ever asks, do you have a private or public plan or you know, association plan? So the idea is, do I want to pay a dollar for a dollar payout or do I want to pay 50 cents on dollars? So uh, depending on your situation and philosophy and core values. Guys, I keep dragging you away from hybrid and you just you just keep... <laughs> Going back. So you're, what you're hinting at there is hybrid. But if I had to make a, a decision and I wasn't allowed to do hybrid, and we are going to talk about hybrid, I'm going to give you that space, I promise. But if I wasn't allowed to do hybrid, is there a strong pull to one type of insurance, association, or private? Do not complicate things. I think that if, you plan, if your plan is to stay in British Columbia to practice, then the association plan is a great plan to start with because you can convert that to a plan that does other benefits for you when you're in practice in BC. 
Okay, so association has strong benefits. Correct. If I'm thinking of leaving the province, I probably should do private. Correct. Okay, now I'm going to push my chair back. I'm going to mute my side of the microphone. You can talk about this hybrid thing we've been dying to hear about. <laughs> First of all, what is it? <laughs> so hybrid at the end of the day is having the best of both worlds. So you do have doctors of BC. They are for you. And uh, they've designed this disability insurance plan that uh, they believe is very beneficial for uh, people practicing in BC. And so we're big believers that that is something to consider. Uh, so when you're in residency and you have the uh, doctors of BC disability plan, so long as you're on it one year before you finish, you can convert um, to something called physician disability insurance. And so Bobby alluded to that earlier. And that's a program that is, uh, in a sense, taxpayer-funded, a lack of a better word, uh, where the premiums are paid for by um, the government. However, the premiums become a taxable benefit on your tax return. And again, this is when you're in practice. And so there's some, uh, there's some merits to that. However, it is... Uh, it is, uh, it's tagged, it's correlated to your MSP billings. And so uh, you would need to sit down with someone to just get clarity as to whether or not um, that, that's beneficial for you for the long term. Uh, and then, so the private plan, just like we talked about earlier, is, is more portable, it's more, the definitions uh, are there. And then it allows you to have uh, the coverage uh, over the long period of time as well as the um, coverage over age 65. And so for us, the hybrid plan gives you the best of both worlds. It gets you the benefits of uh, the association and it gets you the benefits of being on a private plan. So just, you know, low-functioning resident here doesn't know much about finances. When you say hybrid plan, you mean buy some insurance from an association and some private insurance. That's mm -hmm. what you mean. Yeah. Yes, and a lot of people don't know that they can buy both. They always think it's like one or the other. They go, oh, you mean I could buy both and have best of both worlds? Yes. So you don't have to choose. Right, but I'm buying best of both worlds at the cost of both worlds. <laughs> I can see. So I'll give that you're... one to Bobby to answer. <laughs> so long as you're not applying for greater than what you're actually going to be paid out. And that's the concern where someone may max out on the doctors of BC and max out on the private plan and realize upon disability, disability that, oh, the max currently is roughly around 4000 to 4500 for as a resident. So if you max on both plans, let's say 4000 each, you're thinking, oh, I'll get 8000 if I got disabled, but actually they only pay 4000 mm. So that's where the risk could come from if you, know, you try to do yourself and not have someone to just walk you through it. Okay, so the hybrid plan gives me the best of both worlds because it allows me to participate in the Doctors of BC plan and a private plan from a young age, skipping medicals and all that kind of jazz. But... I don't want to over-insure myself. The most I'm ever going to get paid out as a resident is around $4,000, $4,500. So if I buy disability insurance for $4,000 through Doctors of BC and $4,000 through a private plan, I've over-insured myself. I'm insuring myself for $8,000 a month, which I'm just never going to get paid out, no matter how disabled I become. Mm -hmm. So if I want to do the hybrid plan, it requires a lot more planning because I need to make sure I'm not over-insuring myself. Correct. Gotcha. So can you, maybe just to, to make this super clear, we talked about how the hybrid plan gives me the best of both worlds. Can you tell me like the, the one or two best things that I get from both plans when I merge the two together? So we already talked about how the private plan gives me portability. What does the association plan give me? The association plan provides you the ability that, as, as Alpha also mentioned, is the, into the physician disability insurance, where 
it will cover you up to $6,100 of monthly benefit if you practice in BC. And the biggest benefit with the physician disability insurance is that the waiting period is only 15 days. So in practice, if you had this program, if you got injured, after 15 days, it will pay out right away. If you're hospitalized, it's a zero-day waiting period. Whereas most private plans, there's a 90-day waiting period. That's right. Right. So the big advantage of an association plan is I get money sooner. And if I have mortgage payments that are due every two weeks, mm -hmm. I don't know, some other payments like my Netflix bill, which understandably is only $11 a month. But <laughs> are you really paying for Netflix? Come yes, on. <laughs> I am an adult. <laughs> Usually it's someone else's password. So... So the, you, there is maybe a need to get access to money sooner, which is what the association plan provides. Correct. Yeah. But we want to be clear about that, that benefit that Bobby just mentioned is when you're in practice in the physician disability insurance plan. However, the resident plan also that adheres to that waiting period. Okay, so the resident plan still has a 90-day waiting period. The physician plan has a 15- or 0-day waiting period. But why do I need to start on the association plan as a resident then? Can't I just start as staff? Well, the way the plan works is that you could, you could however, you would have to go through medical underwriting at that point. Uh -huh, uh -huh, so, uh -huh. so that's why you have to do one year prior to you graduating going as staff. So one year before I finish residency, it helps to sign up for the association plan because it gets me into this super dope payout early option, and it gets me into it without having to do a physical. Mm -hmm. And it has to be one year beforehand. It can't be, oh, I'm about to transition to practice. I'm going to get that insurance I heard on the podcast. I get all these wonderful things. Wrong. So the timing of this podcast couldn't be any better because <laughs> you're transitioning into another um, year starting July 1st. So if you're entering your last year of residency July 1st, uh, you need to consider uh, this uh, Doctors of BC. You know, I want to be, you know, we're a world-famous podcast with listeners all over the country. <laughs> and You're famous. Aren't people asking you for your yeah. um, autograph? It's hard to go to the grocery store. but <laughs> <laughs> to, to be clear, this is advice that's restricted to the province of British Columbia. Correct. Because not, other, not all provinces have the same association plans with the same benefits. Correct. Correct. Okay. So if I'm going to stay in the province of British Columbia, this hybrid thing really is kind of unique to British Columbia. Mm hmm. Hmm. And I thought we just liked orca whales and stuff, but it's more than just that, eh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I think I understand what's going on, but let me just kind of summarize what I think I've learned today. And if, if you know, there's any gaps in my knowledge, let's fill them in. So we talked about why I might need disability insurance. You know, the world is a chaotic place. My life is full of potential, but not actual earnings right now. At the same time, I'm carrying a ton of debt. If I become injured due to any kind of chaotic event, whether it's a, a cancer diagnosis, an accident, whatever, I need some way of paying off those debts because they don't disappear. And that's what disability insurance provides. In the worst case scenario, it provides me with a monthly income that can help me pay off my debts. So that's why I really should get it. Um, we talked about the different kinds. There's the association plan that comes through the doctors of BC for if you're in British Columbia. Cheaper up front, more costly over the long term. There's the private plan, more portable, more costly up front, cheaper over the long term. Then we talked about this hybrid idea where I kind of get the best of both worlds. I get a faster payout because I'm on the association plan. I also get some portability from being on a private plan. So that seems pretty awesome. But that's really only for people in British Columbia. There's a huge advantage to getting onto a long-term disability plan when you're young, when you don't have to go through a medical, and when you're relatively healthy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So the sooner the better, really. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to remember that disability insurance planning is a piece of your overall plan. 
And so as a medical resident in British Columbia, you do have access to financial coaching through your employee wellness through Vancouver Coastal Health. And we are the providers of the education as well as the uh, advice around uh, where does disability insurance fit into your overall planning. And so just as a reminder to all residents, you do have two private coaching sessions every single year. Uh, and it's paid for by, uh, it's part of your contract, it's part of the contract that we have with Vancouver Coastal Health. And it's a benefit that you already pay for if you were listening to our podcast on pay stubs. It's already embedded in what you pay for. And so uh, we encourage you, if anything that we talked about today uh, resonates with you, you have more questions. And what makes us unique is just the neutrality and that we are not uh, part of a financial institution. We are uh, here. We sit on your side of the table and we provide you an objective and a neutral position as to what you should be considering based on whether you're going to uh, stay in BC or you're going to move on and practice uh, anywhere in the world or anywhere across Canada. And so uh, to access that, you simply have to call um, the VCH Employee Wellness Line and that's 604-872-4929, 604-872-4929. Okay, thank you very much. I just want to underline that because, you know, with the sale of uh, MD Financial to Scotiabank, everyone's all up in arms about what is independence. So you guys, the FLC, is contracted by Vancouver Coastal Health Authority to provide financial advice to their employees. Mm -hmm. So you're really paid by VCH to help us. As residents, I have access to two financial coaching sessions a year. And honestly, if you need it, you might as well just take advantage of that and get some help. Yeah, and in addition to that, we also provide, because I also met you at the... uh, was it your academic half day? Yes. So yes, we also do provide uh, workshops and we're more than happy to come into your group, uh, whatever setting, whether it's a retreat, retreat or academic half day or um, one of your meetings. Uh, we're happy to let's provide just, let's financial just pause there. I, I can think of nothing more amusing than going on my <laughs> program retreat, relaxing, <laughs> thinking about how much debt I'm in, talking about long-term disability insurance. Ah, oh, so good. So good. It's so good. Yeah. Well, we do talk about more interesting topics, <laughs> like incorporation. Well, hopefully that's more interesting. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that. That's another podcast, but that's years away at this point. So, well, for me personally. But, uh, guys, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. This is our last chance. Do we have any more long-term disability insurance uh, tidbits or bits of information that we should slide in before we sign off? Um, I think that I do have a question for you. So we've heard about like why it's good, why you should consider it, but why does resident doctors of BC make you write in that number for the, when you You do your call, when you do your call. So you mentioned it in the beginning where they have to write in their policy number, but why is that a requirement? Well, in, in British Columbia, you do not get uh, disability insurance through your employer, which is Vancouver Coastal Health Authority. Some other provinces do get disability insurance through their employer. Uh, so I think it's just important for us to know that you can't compare yourselves to friends in other provinces who say like, well, why are you worrying about disability insurance? That's not a big deal. It's in your pay stub. It's not in our pay stub. It's not covered by VCH. It's something we need to take the initiative to do to get out there and make sure we're covered. And that little reminder in the callstipend.ca website, it's there to remind you that this is important. You're at a point in your life where you are nothing but potential, but you have no kinetic energy to use my engineering background. You don't actually make that much money, but you have so much debt. So this is just a reminder that you need to have some kind of safety net in case the worst does happen so that you can pay off all those debts and have 
a somewhat financially viable life moving forward. Mm -hmm. So it's a reminder that you got to do this yourself. Nobody's holding your hand. Nobody's doing this for you. Alrighty. Uh, so thank you very much, guys. I, I appreciate the chat. This was as invigorating as possible. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thank you, John. And we'll catch you guys another time. Bye, everyone. All right, so that was our podcast on disability insurance. I hope you learned something new. I'd like to, of course, throw a thank you to everyone at FLC, including Bobby, Alphil, and Michelle, for their generous allotment of time. Believe it or not, we spoke about disability insurance for 50 minutes and barely scratched the surface. So if you have any other questions, feel free to contact someone at FLC to set up one of your, your two financial wellness appointments that you are entitled to as a VCH staff member. Our music for today, at the start of the show, we heard Unreal DM by Blue Circles, and now you're listening to Summer Trip by Tagolio. Stay tuned for the next episode, which is actually going to be coming out a day or two after this one in our financial wellness series. We're trying to get the R1s ready to start residency on a good financial footing. And our final piece in the financial wellness series is actually a piece de resistance. I'm really happy with it. It's an interview with Dr. Paul Healy. He is the founder of the Physician Financial Independence Facebook group alongside his wife, Dr. Jane Healy. You may have heard of the group. It's one of the biggest groups in Canada for physicians uh, looking to discuss their financial life. I had a lot of fun interviewing Paul. I think there was a lot of good content in that podcast, and I hope you stick around for part C in our financial wellness mini-series. So thanks a lot. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Bye for now.